Hey, what up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. I'm back at it with another interview, this time with a friend, Christopher LeBron Jr. Long story short with how we know each other is his fiance and my wife were BFFs in high school. And we didn't get into it in the interview, but we're both big board game fans, so we've traded hosting game nights a bunch of times. I was excited to chat with him because I didn't know a ton about his work life. He's the first person I'm interviewing in the healthcare industry, but he's actually on the talent side of things as a director of staffing for AVN, which is a staffing agency for the healthcare industry. We talk about why he wanted to study business in the first place, how his team's world was turned upside down by the pandemic, and why he was tempted to test the waters at another org for a little bit, but then ultimately came back to AVN. Anyways, it's always great hanging out with Christopher. Really enjoyed chatting with him here, and I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to Work Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I want you to join me. Work Stuff. stories casually told and we're live christopher thank you for joining man i I really appreciate it i've i've always kind of been interested in your work life you know just because uh i don't know i feel like you're a driven person you've got like a laundry list of promotions that we can chat about but i just curious about that side of your your life because you know i know you're from the other side the fun side the social side (laughs) so thanks for joining man yeah absolutely i am very excited to talk about it. I'm going to I'm gonna be very honest. I'm a little nervous. I've only been interviewed like once before. It was like years ago when I was in our DC office and I was actually on television. And it's funny because this video has resurfaced recently um, when our marketing team went and was looking for like nurse fighters. And they found this video of like this 25-year-old kid running a branch talking about what we did. And I was so super nervous. And I'm yeah. like, somebody make that video go away. Um, but no, today's a little bit of nerves, but I love that. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you're nervous, then you're going to care more and you're going to try, try harder. That's what I say. I love that. You know, you know, all the answers. So that's the good thing. You know, no tricks up my sleeve. Perfect. Thank you. Know. you. Yeah. And if you don't know the answers, we'll put it in a parking lot and we'll circle back to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think with your background, you're the first person I'm interviewing who um, has, is in more of the medical field. And I know you're not like, in, you're not like a doctor, but you're in that adjacent field. And um, so I think it'll be interesting to talk about um, just especially with the pandemic and how all that affected things. But I think where I wanted to start is really just when you were 18, you know, I'm curious, like, I actually don't remember where you had grown up. So I know you spent time in DC, but also Virginia, right? Yeah. And so I was like, well, where'd you grow up? And then uh, what were you thinking of doing um, when you were, you know, fresh into adulthood? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Richmond, Virginia, and I grew up for most of my life around, all, like all around the state. So started in Richmond and moved to Northern Virginia for a little bit when I was a kid, um, back to Richmond. And then uh, in 2001, we moved out to a little county called Lancaster County. I like to call it in the middle of nowhere because it, it pretty much was. And I spent my middle school and high school years there. Uh, to give you an idea of how small it was, my high school graduating class was 89 students. Wow. Um, very tiny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I knew when I was in high school that I wanted to pursue business in, in some mm. shape or form. So business school was always a dream for me. And so I ended up applying to and getting accepted to the University of Richmond. Go Spiders. Nice. 
And um, I ended up moving back to Richmond because I have a lot of family there. And with my family for a couple of years as I was attending school, graduated in 2013 with my business degree. And I uh, had a concentration in business management specifically. And that's actually right around about when I started my job with Nurse Finders. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask real real quick, actually, um, because I interviewed someone else, a friend of mine who went to the University of Richmond Law School. Nice. And he talked about how... um, the recruit someone had like recruited him to go apply or like said hey we'll pay for your application to apply and he's like well i'll go ahead and visit the school and like i'll apply and i might as well and he said that he was basically convinced when he landed on campus and saw how gorgeous it was figured i'd ask if that was like an influence for you it it certainly was for me it was already a shoe in for me like knowing that my family was literally it was a seven minute drive off campus my grandparents dad was just 10 minutes around the corner so there was a lot of family there. But yeah, stepping on campus, it was like, seal the deal, you know, put the stamp on it, send my application in. Like, can I hand deliver it to you all at this point? <laughs> because I know I wanted to go there because the campus is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Just the architecture, the nature that's there, and then the actual just feel of it. Because it's not like a, I mean, it's not like a city school because it's it's nestled in like a very quiet neighborhood, so to say, like down on River Road, down in that area in Richmond. And it's just these big, beautiful homes. And then just kind of you go down a windy path and then boom, there's the campus. And they have kept to the architectural standards that were, you know, when they were building the campus back in the 1800s, 1830s, I believe. And everything is just like the brick kind of Gothic architecture, but just so beautifully done. So all of the new buildings on campus, they've mimicked that same architecture. Um, so they've really carried that tradition throughout. So I mean, it's just having that that historical charm to it, in addition mm-hmm. to the beauty of the campus, and then also the community that's there too. Um, and for me, that was like, oh, this is, this is it. Check, check, check. <laughs> it's and easy. of course, the academics were top tier as well. So I was right. like, they signed me up. <laughs> Were, were you looking at other schools too, or you pretty pretty much set and like set that as your goal and just kind of went for that and and knew that what you wanted, not not going to waste time elsewhere? Yeah, so Richmond was my top choice. Nice. Uh, Mary was my second, mm. and then on VCU was going to be my my safety school. I ended up only applying to both Richmond and William and Mary, and I ended mm. up getting both of them. So for me, the choice was um, pretty easy. Mm-hmm. The thing that just listed going to Richmond. Right on. That's awesome. Cool. So yeah, and and then you knew business. I guess what what was I guess you said that you always knew that you wanted to work in business. Like what was that driving factor? Did, uh, were your parents like business people, or um, I don't know, did you have like an influence around there? Um, kind of both. So yeah. you know, my mom was was in management. You know, in a number of different ventures um, throughout, throughout my childhood, and then my dad actually um, was also into business because my grandfather owned his own mortgage company. Hmm. So, um, he had been in a number of different positions throughout his career. So, you know, he was, you know, a high level executive with Pepsi in New York City, and then was, you know, oh. selling with Electrolux in Richmond and um, was uh, part of the mortgage business and then ended up going into his own venture and owning his own company, Community Mortgage Centers, which was thriving, you know, through the mm-hmm. thousands up until the late 2000s. Uh, but my entire, it was a family business, right? So my grandfather was in it. My my father was in it. My oh. uncle, my grandmother was even the, the front desk, um, you know, person taking calls cool. and taking, you know, messages and everything. So it was really was a family business. It was, Love very, that. yeah. 
So those those are my my big influences um, in terms of like knowing that yes, I want to be cool. I don't know what in business, but I want to be something in business. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good it's a good bet to make. I mean, um, it's uh, it's a major that's worth worth the uh, the time and the funds to get right. So good on you for that. Um, so okay, so you were saying that you started with Nurse Finders, which is where you are now. So you, um, I guess, how'd you find that role, and um, what was that process like? Like, how'd you find that company? It's so funny. So I, I tell this to everybody. I had no idea. Like, I didn't go to school for recruiting, and mm-hmm. I don't think it really goes to school for recruiting. Right. Not something that you really hear of. Mm-hmm. And you know, because I've heard of like all the finance people going to want to go work on Wall Street or the accounting folks wanted to go work at the big time. It was the, the big four. And, you know, the marketing folks wanted to go work at the big ad agencies downtown. And I kind of wanted that, but I just did it because it felt like everybody was doing that. And there was a lot of competition for it. Mm-hmm. We had a, an online network for alumni to come in and post jobs at positions or within different employers that they're with for new positions that are coming available. Mm-hmm. This one had app, had popped up. It was a, at the time it was called a shipped coordinator and it was for the Richmond, Virginia branch for nurse finders. So I applied to it and I went in, I, I had a face-to-face interview with um, one of the gals who was a former student. She graduated a few years before me mm-hmm. and um, that went well, ended up getting past the next round for, uh, with the era director. Her name is Grace Perkinson. I will never forget her. She's my, uh, my OG mentor. Uh, love her to death. She was just pheno- a phenomenal leader. But I got to interview with her. I had a wonderful interview and got passed um, to the next round. And it was, it was a smaller um, business at the time because we were part of the franchises. And so this, uh, I got to interview with the owner. Mm-hmm. And so him and I had a really great conversation over the phone because it was a phone interview because he was based in Florida. Of course, I was in Virginia. And then after that interview, I got a call 30 minutes later <laughs> saying, congratulations. When awesome. can we start? It was, yeah, it was awesome. So um, I was still in my senior year, I was finishing up college and yeah. um, I didn't graduate until, the graduation date wasn't until May, but they wanted me to start in April. <laughs> no way. Buddy, ASAP. And they knew, oh wow, man, good on you, man. Just getting yeah. something lined up that soon. That's yeah. soon. April 12, 2013, mm. my first day at Nurse Finders, 10 years ago, two days ago. <laughs> That's so cool. Wow. Like 22 year old me had no idea that was even possible to like find a job and start it while I hadn't even graduated yet. Like, man, I just, I was so late on the boat there. Like, did did you have other folks land jobs before graduating? There were a few folks that had things lined up. Um, It was not extremely common to have an actual like W2 job. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of friendships, Um, but some folks did have some stuff lined up in Richmond or they'd go back home because a lot of folks were from like the northeast and they'd start work but i, I did have some people that w- were panicking i'm kind of as graduation were coming because i was like are we gonna ever graduate i don't have a job what am i gonna do yeah. <laughs> which is a very scary position to be in yeah uh, but but yeah i'd say it was, it was a good mix mm-hmm. okay and and so now my i'm also kind of curious because i know you have your mba from american university and we can ask talk about that but i i was curious why um why wait on the mba like if you're in school and i i assume you're doing well in school uh was there a reason why like did you kind of know that you wanted to get an mba eventually or it wasn't the right time like i'm just kind of curious about that decision process that you made even though you eventually did go go get one yeah so all of the guidance i was receiving from 
grandparents and my parents and other, you know, generations before me were like, you need to go to get your MBA as soon as you're done with your um, bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. But the feedback I was receiving from my mentors and from other people that were a bit younger was that these businesses and these other places that are looking for these, you know, newly educated students, they're only looking for education, but they also want experience. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it was my decision to put the the next steps, which was to go for my MBA on hold for a few years as I actually got out into the workforce and cool. gained experience. And I do not regret that decision at all. Um, yeah. I graduated in 2013 and then I started my MBA program five years later in 2018. So I had five years under my belt. Cool. And in those five years I had, you know, experience as an individual contributor, but then also in leadership too, because yeah. I don't know. Uh, management roles. And because I waited, I was able to really learn a lot hands-on. So, you know, in in my business at the time, I was running like P&L management. I was recruiting. I was doing performance management. Um, we were doing sales. And there were just all these different aspects that go into running an actual business I was doing. Mm-hmm. So once I did start my program and really started diving into the coursework when it came to management or accounting or finance, et cetera, I, I felt that I personally had a leg up because a lot of these mm-hmm. topics as we were covering, I had real life experience. It was a good mix for me of, oh, I'm learning new things, but then I'm also reinforcing things that I've done and I can offer a, a viewpoint of like, hey, this is what I've done in my career or in my business. Right. I waited, but I, I really am very happy for the decision that I did, you know, choose to wait so I could have that experience. Yeah, that's smart. I think the the same thing, like the MBA sure is very valuable, man. the real life experience, like you're literally... MBA is the theory, right? And then like you want to apply it to real life and it's not real life is not going to behave like the theory textbook stuff. Um, yeah. That's funny that um, the people from other generations though were recommending education because that is so true. Like they've just been saying like get educated when you're young and when your brain is like soaking all that up, I guess. Um, but yeah. And then we kind of realized millennials are like, well, no, we're going to go get experience and grab an income first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I want to keep Very cool. the debt. Like, let me go at least get out of it a little bit before. I yeah. Go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, man. So, uh, so, so you must really love this company, um, Nurse Finders, because you, you've been there for, not since then entirely, I guess, but like you've, you know, you've been spent so much time there. Um, has it been like that, like just enjoyable the entire time? Like, like I'm curious what, um, has led to like you wanting to really stick with them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like to say I've been on and off with AVN for 10 years, um, just because <laughs> I, I call it my sabbatical. Yeah. So, I mean, my journey with it, it's now, we're now AMN healthcare because we're doing a rebranding. So mm-hmm. I'm references to AMN, but my journey with them is very interesting because I started off in a franchise. So we had a mm-hmm. corporate side and then we had a franchise side. And the franchise that I was part of, it was one of, I think, four. And we had 11 offices up and down the East Coast of so Florida, South Carolina, and Virginia. Hmm. And I was there from when I started in 2013 up until about, it was February of 2015. So uh, my partner at the time, we decided that, hey, we want to we want a fresh start. We want to move somewhere that's a little bit bigger. So we moved to D.C. And there happened to be a nurse finder's office, amen office. Um, mm. outside of DC at the time. And I applied for the um, branch manager role, ended up getting it and w- went right up to DC and moved into it. So now I'm on the corporate side. And it just so happened, it was funny because right about that time that I had put in my notice, 
AMN decided we're going to sell off the franchises and let them do what they want to do and rebrand. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I got it out literally like, oh my gosh. Or they decided, ah, we're going to cut ties. <laughs> wow. Skin of your teeth. Exactly. Look at you. So I, um, I started with the, the nurse finders branch out of the DC area and I was a branch manager there. And then, you know, throughout the years, I, I, it ended up taking up. So it was DC that was over. Then eventually it was DC in the Baltimore area. And then I ended up getting a promotion to what was called a regional services manager. So I was managing my branches, but then also providing um, leadership support to all of the other branches within the region. Mm -hmm. So Philadelphia, North Carolina offices, because we were all part of the Mid-Atlantic, the Salesforce admin stuff. Um, I was doing a lot of reporting and analytics for the teams and our, our leadership trips, things like that. And then in 2018, I ended up getting tapped on the shoulder to nice. come to Los Angeles. And, yeah, and to co-lead the branch in LA. So at the time, the Los Angeles branch was the highest grossing branch in all of the, the 23 nurse vendors offices, or 24 rather, that we had at the time. So initially I said, absolutely not. What? I'm not moving to Los Angeles. All of my family is in Virginia. All of my friends are in Virginia. Like mm -hmm. everything. Noah's the East Coast. I've known nothing but Virginia for the 28 years that I have breathed air into my life. <laughs> yeah. So eventually my really good friend, Russell, who is um, one of our senior directors now, he was, the oh, yeah. he was the leader in New York and he ended up moving to Los Angeles because they ended up bringing in two managers and they brought two new positions and he took one of them. So our, gotcha. <laughs> our president at the time was like, Russell, you're good friends with him. Whittle him down, whittle him down. Hold <laughs> up. After months, I finally said, yes, I'll do it. Nice. That's how it works. It worked out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Flying across uh, the coast. I had never been to Los Angeles, sight unseen, stepped off the plane saying, wow. okay, I'm here now. <laughs> Man, Russell, you put some Russell on the sales team. Yeah, it's serious. You know? And um, so I was, I was in a manager of staffing role with the LA hub up until right after the pandemic started, it was actually July of 2020. Mm. And I'd been in this role. I've been with nurse finders now since I, I came out of college. And I think there's a little statistic at the time when I was still in college that average generation will change jobs on average, probably seven times in our career. I think the number mm -hmm. is exponentially large enough. It's like 13 or 14 times. Yeah. But I was an anomaly because I hadn't changed my job at all. Mm -hmm. So I had to test the waters. I had sure. to yeah. on the side. So I ended up getting tapped on the shoulder by a, a local staffing agency, 24-hour medical staffing, and they're based out of Diamond Bar. And I ended up um, going over there as a, as a recruitment leader, recruitment and delivery. Mm -hmm. And I was managing everything that was credentialing functions in addition to recruitment. And, you know, I had a really great time, loved the management there. Uh, but for me, it just, it wasn't fit. Mm -hmm. And I missed, I missed my home. I missed AMN. I missed the people I was working with. I just missed that environment. Yeah. Um, and working with a larger organization too, there's a lot of things that are afforded to you in terms of resources and connections and networking. And there was just all of that that I was missing out, um, having gone to a smaller organization. So I ended up um, going back over to AMN because Russell tapped me on the shoulder. Um, <laughs> they opened up a director position. So I said, okay, I'm going to cool. apply. And I uh, ended up applying for it, went through the whole process. Yeah. And ended up, um, getting that. And that was 2021. And I ended up going back to Nurseline or AMN now. When AMN, going, okay. And, and now I'm in my director of staffing role. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I, I totally get the temptation, obviously. I'm someone that takes that temptation often, <laughs> you could say. I'm trying not to for a long time now. But uh, yeah, I definitely get that, that allure. 
How many times have you moved? Uh, probably average of like a year at each place over the last decade. So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's in the it's the double digits, you know. <laughs> I think at that point you need to keep counting, but um, I totally get it. Um, but yeah, it's so hard to to replace culture, though, you know, and and that little micro network you get from a company. So and I learned that the hard way too. You know, same same thing. Go somewhere and you realize, oh, things aren't really. You don't communicate the same way, or um, I don't have the same access to the same people like I did before, and and that changes your day. So I totally get that. I mean, culture is huge in any in any organization that you go to, and I mean, culture means more than just like, oh, are we you know having a party on Friday? It really is how people are treated, how people are respected, and how people are understood. In addition to you know all the other functions that go into being whatever kind of contributor you are, be it individual or being in leadership. Um, so yeah, culture fit is super important because nobody wants to wake up and dread what they want to dread what they're doing, right? Nobody wants to wake up and say, oh God, I have to go to work. You know, I wake up morning and say, I am excited to go to work today because I get to do X, Y, Z. I get to do what I love. I get to make an impact. Um, and for me, AMN has, has been that company for me. Yeah, we have ups and downs. Everybody, not everybody's job is going to be perfect and they're going to be ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Talk about COVID here because that was definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big, big ebb. Well, big, the big ebb. <laughs> but yeah, culture is is massive, uh, especially for me. And I've, I've found the best culture I can with the, with the family that I work with. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy to be with them. That's awesome. Well, I want to dig into that. I also want to rewind a bit because I realized we didn't give a summary of like what nurse finder slash AMN really does, which we kind of touched on, but do you want to yeah. give a, a brief description of like the service that you guys provide? Cause it is pretty unique. I didn't realize that this was even a thing before I met you. So, um, yeah, what, what exactly do you all do? Absolutely. So I, I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, if I were to golden circle this and go by the, the how, mm-hmm. uh, the how, the why, the what, yeah. so we, we provide talent and insights to the communities that we serve. So that way we can make an impact to ensure that facilities are well-staffed and well-equipped to be able to serve their patients and their communities in the best way possible. So how do we do that? Well, we have numerous different you know, teams, be it recruitment, be it our analytics team, be it you know, sales and what have you, that all participate in ensuring that we do have these quality clinicians or these analytics or things that these facilities needs that we can provide to them. Uh, now, I specifically am a director within our local staffing division. So we have many divisions. We have our um, our travel division, which is like travel nurse. So, you know, a nurse, we fly in from Florida to come work at Kaiser in Los Angeles. Wow. And they have a 13-week assignment, right? So wow. in short, you know, they're doing it for 13 weeks and they just kind of bounce around. So travel nursing is big. Whoa. And yeah, very nice. If if. If I had known about this before I went into business, maybe I would have been a travel nurse. You know, I could be 13 yeah. weeks in different states and, you know, try different cities and find out. Do, do they pay for like their housing, like uh, like during the assignment too? Yeah, there we do wow. have. Yeah, so it's like housing, um, like meals and incidentals, all kinds of things that go into the entire pay package for the clinician in addition to their wow. uh, actual pay. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah, that'd be pretty pretty killer as a 20 something year old, you know, Absolutely. Uh, just travel around. Exactly. Oh. Hey, where are you going to okay. be next month? I'm going to be in Tampa or I'm going to be in New York city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, 
So that's our travel division. And then my division is local staffing. So we focus more so on the, like the immediate areas that we're, that we're servicing and finding clinicians that are local. So um, back when we were more so in the, the branch model, the reason why we had so many branches, all these individual cities was because you needed a physical presence to be able to interview clinicians that were local, right? So gotcha. had our DC branch and even when we had our LA branch, before we went very tech and digital, we were bringing people into the office who were doing face-to-face -face interviews, applications, right. et cetera. Um, we've kind of moved away from that and we've, we've more so decentralized just because we have recruiters that are remote in all around the United States. Like I'm here in San Francisco, we have people still in LA, we have people like on the outskirts of, you know, Sacramento, and then mm -hmm. it's just California, we have people like all across the US. But mm. We still specialize within the recruitment of clinicians that are looking for per diem assignments. So maybe they're already working a full-time job, but they want to pick up an extra shift or two to gotcha. make some additional income or get their foot into a door of a facility that maybe they've been trying to get into. So this is kind mm. of their end or it looks good on their resume, things like that. So interesting. Yeah. And then we have other divisions too. Like we have allied. So outside of nursing, because we focus on like registered nurses. Um, LVN, CNAs, but we have folks that do like medical assistants and uh, sonographers and techs and all kinds of uh, specialties that fall under allied. We have our locums, which focuses on the super high acuities like doctors and nurse mm -hmm. practitioners. Yeah. And also our analytics uh, folks, and they you know, provide analytics to hospitals to help project, for example, like how many, how many ER nurses I'm going to need on next Tuesday based uh -huh. on the census and trends in the past few years and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, our, yeah. our, we, we call it total talent management. You're, you're just in the people business, right? For hospitals. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's nuts. I can't even imagine the complexity of like organizing all that and scheduling things for a hospital that, I mean, I guess we can, we can get into co the COVID pandemic affecting all that. Cause like, um, it's funny because you, you, you work in at remote in San Francisco now and before they like flew you out to LA and now they're like, oh, I'll work whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Like take me through it. Like March, 2020, you're just normal staff. I guess the pan, like the pandemic is like lingering. Right. So was there a little buzz of like, how is this going to affect us? Cause like, yeah, a hospital saw it first. Yeah. I remember very specific conversations and points in different meetings from January up until March 13th of 2020. And I remember that date very vividly because it was the very last day we were in any office ever. But so COVID, of course, these started emerging in December. We started hearing about it more in January that it finally made its way over. So we had our, we had a leadership summit in San Diego because that's where our, uh, one of our corporate offices was at the time. And all the leaders within local staffing and a couple clinical leaders also joined us, but we all went to San Diego and it was, it was a good group of, let's say it was maybe like 20 of us. And everybody was just kind of like, COVID is a thing. Like yeah. anybody coughs, you're like, Ooh, is that COVID? You know? <laughs> Cause we just didn't know there was so much. Oh gosh. Yeah. And I mean, we were just, we were starting at that point to, to hear stories from clinicians because things were starting to get kind of bad in certain areas. I mean, the Seattle was starting, mm -hmm. to, um, the Bay Area was starting to get pretty bad. Um, and in other cities around the US, New York City is an example. So I, I remember at this leadership summit, we were sitting in a meeting, this is in February. So this is a month before like things started getting really crazy. But our, I remember our clinical director at the time for Per Diem, um, it was talking to us and was like, she read another article and she was just going on and saying, this is going to be big. Like, this is going to shut us down. This is, this is going to 
alter the face of healthcare. And all of us are in the office like, okay, whatever. Okay, sure. <laughs> Lo and behold, so March 13, okay. 20 was a Friday. We'll never forget it. The last day that we had in the office and we had um, like a little like office things. So I was dressed up that day along with the other leaders and mm -hmm. we set our eyes and we all thought, hey, we're going to be back on Monday and it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. A phone call from our president at the time on Sunday. Not good. Not good. Not good. Oh yeah, my we, God. Calls on weekends. Like that's right. Like very much about work life balance. And if you got a call on the weekend, it, something was bad. Right. Big call on Sunday. And it's like, I need everybody on a, on a phone call in teams in 10 minutes. We were like, okay. What? All the leaders get on the call. And she's like, okay, we had two positive COVID cases in San Diego, the San Diego office. So she's like, we're shutting down. Everybody's going to work from home. So wow. like, I advise you all to like go to your respective offices and pick up your, you know, your immediate belongings that you're going to need to work. And we're going to just be working from home um, for the foreseeable future, right? Until, until things calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Calm down, right? Here we are. All you could do, you could just take it one week at a time. Step at a time. Yeah. So, and it's funny because I remember we regrouped. It was me, um, Russell, who was the other manager, and then our director at the time. And our director was like, okay, this will blow over in a couple of days. Just tell your teams that, hey, we'll be in the office on Wednesday. And then me and Russell called each other and decided, we're like, we're not going to be in the office on Wednesday. Tell them that we're working from home for the foreseeable future. The early days of COVID were just, it was no man's land. It, mm. no, nobody knew anything. Like nobody mm -hmm. knew. There was no like status quo. And the, the, all the manuals and the rule books that thrown out the window because it's like, what do we do? How do we right. navigate this? And it wasn't just our business that had to figure it out. It was every business. Yeah. With lockdowns and things shutting down and, you know, then mass mandates came about. And then, I mean, in the very beginning, we kind of struggled a bit because we, we had a lot of like, Clinicians that were part of like the OR, that were going in for elective surgeries or, I mean, anything that wasn't, you were, if you weren't going into an ICU to be treated for COVID, like they didn't need you. So we actually had a massive dip right. in our thing. But sure enough, I mean, as, as the pandemic went on, we got stronger. We got very strategic in how we were going to support our clients. We got very surgical with it. And we were just, you know, flying by the seat of our pants. We were, we were building the plane as we were flipping. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, year one, so we'll just, I'll just say all of 2020 was very just, everybody's hair was on fire. Like everybody's working 12 hour days, weekends, nights. Like I remember some nights that I would, I would leave my computer at six just to go make dinner and then go maybe jump on the Peloton and then take a shower and go back and I'd be on for another couple hours a night. Oh man. It was so crazy because there was just so much happening. And when it came to a point where these facilities were literally begging for ICU nurses and respiratory therapists because those were the two most in-demand specialties at the time. Yeah. We were scrambling to find any and, anybody, any and everybody to go to work. And then California said, we'll take emergency licensure for nurses. So like, hey, if they have a pulse and a CPR card, like we'll send them into work. Take and anyone. Yeah. It, I mean, pretty much. And it, because it was just that, it was that dire. And it's just so crazy to think about that this was just three years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so far, it's kind of like uh, the, the planes like going down, or someone's having an emergency on a plane, and they're like, "Is there a doctor here?" And like, no one's a doctor. Like, uh, you have any anyone cousins with a doctor? Like, you're the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> <Does> <laughs> <you> have anyone? <laughs> Did you play doctor as a kid? Okay, 
<laughs> but oh, but no, so it was it was it was very difficult. It was tough in the beginning, and again, it was there was just a lot of ambiguity and that uncertainty, and we really were just everything was gray. We knew nothing. We had to mm-hmm. build everything all over again. So I had ended up leaving within kind of I left in July of 2020. So I left kind of oh yeah. I was the, oh, the higher point of COVID when things were yeah. really starting to ramp up. Mm-hmm. I left and I ended up coming back 10 months later. So it was that, ju- no, I left in September. 2021. So left in September. I came back in July of 2021. So when I came back, yeah. AMN was more like equipped, more well-equipped, I should say, to handle the pandemic. There were, there were strategies in place. There were standard operating procedures of how things were running, uh, but still a lot of uncertainty. So when I came in into my director role, I have a, a very heavy passion for operations and analytics. And um, I am our, like our Excel and Salesforce guru on our team. So like if nice. anybody has a question, they come to me. Nice. And I love it. I love things like that. So when we <laughs> started managing the COVID vaccination cards, because mm. at that time, everybody yeah. got vaccine. And this is when facilities started saying, okay, like we're not taking anybody in our facility unless they have a vaccination or if they have, you know, a declination of religious or medical reasons. Mm. So we were at that point, like we're scrambling, okay, so what do we do? We, we haven't been tracking anything. We haven't been asking people for this. So we had to go from zero to a hundred in terms of collecting COVID vaccination cards. And I, yeah. and I need that charge oh. by you know, reporting for it, by, you know, helping the, do the structure for the phone calls, for the recruiters to reach out to their clinicians and. Uh, we ended up turning it around and we got like 100% who's got a card, who doesn't, who's got a religious or medical declination, who doesn't, right? In a matter of months, it, we wow. just grow quickly. Wow, so nice job. Thank you. It's a good uh, story to tell. It's a great story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Process efficiencies. Yeah. Uh, but Man, you, I, I got a lot. I know every, every company I talk to with Salesforce is a, it's a huge mess. So there's a lot of demand for that too, just, just so yeah. you know. Yeah, Salesforce, I mean, we, Salesforce is great, but it, for us, I, I, they just took it out of the box and said, here, yeah, <laughs> they right. didn't optimize it. So there's a lot of things in ours that we just don't use. And it's just a lot of wasted yeah. space, neither here nor there. But yeah, I, I've been working with Salesforce now since 2016. So the in and outs and the back ends of it. And yeah, they come to me with any questions. I'm like, oh yeah, that's this. They were like, I was dealing for hours. And I was like, don't do that. Just come to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that actually Salesforce is like in an org like that, a staffing org, but I guess it makes sense. Like you got a CRM, right? You got contacts yeah. and uh, yeah, makes sense. We, we were able to manage everything out of it all the way down to our scheduling of, of staff numbers. So we do all of our credentialing, permit and staffing out of it. Mm, that's gnarly. I'm curious to know as your role as a director now of, of this org, um, I guess, how many directors are there? Like, I'm curious how big, like, as far as the org goes, like, are you one of like five? Are you one of like 220? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, I'm curious about that. And then how many people do you oversee? Yeah. So we actually, we just had some recent changes. And I say recent, I mean, last week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what we, so our local staffing division is, uh, there's 79 recruiters. There are 11, there are nine managers of staffing. There are two directors of staffing. I'm one of two. Gotcha. We have our senior director of staffing, Russell, who I've mentioned. Um, we are um, our divisional vice president and then our president of the organization. Wow. That's that you, happened. man. Yeah. That's and awesome. A couple of account managers for nurse or local specifically. 
And then in terms of my direct report, so as of this week, I have one leader that reports to me and has seven team members. And then I have eight direct reports. One is on maternity leave right now. So technically I have seven right now. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, so however do you meet with each of them regularly? I'm I'm curious to hear about, because I know it like you're managing managers. I like have like a very small taste of management, like just the bottom level management. But like, what is that like where you have to meet with people who are then having their own one-on-ones or or something with their own team? Like that layer of complexity, how how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, it comes there. There's a lot of theories and everything that go in into you know leading people, right? Situation, mm-hmm. this theory. I mean, the list goes on. It's a combination of experience and then just using those theories in practice to help yeah. those leaders. The leader that I'm leading, leaders that I've been leading even in the past, because I've had a number of leaders kind of shift as they've been moving around. Um, everybody's younger and tenure than I have been. Mm. Great, because for me, I can share experiences and things that have worked for me or, or give feedback on, and also feed forward on how I think they should, you know, work and communicate effectively with each of their different team members, right? I think the biggest thing that we all have to realize is that not everybody is the same. You know, not every person is cutter and you have to, I like to say, flex your leadership style to match and to meet where that other person is at, right? Yeah. So communication, as an example, how I might communicate with you, Andy, is not going to be the exact same of how I communicate with my fiance. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be how I communicate with, you know, your wife, right? Because it's, everybody has a different way of how they interpret information and how they receive that information. So being able to teach that so people understand like, hey, I'm talking to this person who needs it to be very direct and straightforward. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to talk to this person over here that maybe needs it a little softer. <laughs> so it don't feel mm-hmm. like act right but i'm delivering the exact same message it's it's super pivotal right in in anything because again we're in a business so communication is the number one part of the job yeah you're you're talking all day every day so that that's kind of how i i guide my team members you know performance management and all the other stuff like meeting the metrics like all the other things that actually go into a recruiter or slash sales role it just Mm -hmm. that you see across the board. And I employ the same tactics with, with my direct reports, right? I have individual contributors that roll directly up to me and they're also recruiting and um, mm-hmm. you know, all the things that I impart and I, and I teach to them too, um, that kind of roll into just that whole, that people mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I remember I went through some like training or it was more of an HR thing. And the gist I got out of it was like, there's like four types of personality types. And one is like, the CEO is like very direct and red and like just give them the answer. And then there's like data type people. So they want to see numbers and percentages and analytics and stuff. And then there's like, they, there's others that want to do things carefully and they want to just like present things nicely and have it all wrapped in a nice bow and prepare. And then there's like the fun side that doesn't really care. That's all like, just like personality wise. And like, so in sales, it was like, the lesson was like, okay, try to figure out which one of those they are and just match that. Yeah. <laughs> Just describe the disc style. I am that analytical person. So it's the C on the disc wheels. I'm a high C because uh-huh. I, well, it's funny because our entire leadership group and it's five of the senior leadership, rather, it's five of us. So mm-hmm. I'm the D. So she's very direct. 
Um, our, uh, our divisional vice president is AI, so she's very people oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, our senior director is an S for steadiness. So again, he likes to like, ha- like equal playing field, make sure everybody's okay, make sure everything looks good. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the other director is, I believe he's an, he's an I or an S he's one of the two. Um, and then I'm the C. So we have mm-hmm. all the discord representatives. <laughs> no, cause when we go into these meetings together, we're like, sometimes we butt heads. But the products that we put out, like the results are just spectacular because we've had all of these different viewpoints really have a hand in cultivating whatever we were working on, right? Yeah. Because I look at things from that perspective of like, I need to be exact. I need to know it down to the decimal point. And everybody else is like, I mean, if it gets done, it gets done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so true. Um, yeah. So I, that was great to go over your, your work history. Um, I was going to just ask... Um, we did go over the pandemic, obviously, in depth um, and told some stories. I was going to ask, now that you work remote, is it like, is that what you prefer? Or would you prefer like being in office or a hybrid situation? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are pros and cons. I, I love working from home because my commute is 30 seconds from that room to this room. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. First, your office, you can make it what you want it to be. Like, I, again, I was saying I got my new desk, so I was setting that yeah. up. And like my music in the background, I can burn candles. Like it's just, you know, it's home. Yeah. Um, and that's very nice. And then also I'm here with my dog Harper. So it's just, it just, it's comfortable. Right. And then done with work, I close my laptop and then I don't have to worry about a commute. Cause when I was in LA, my commute was upwards of an hour some days just to go all of two miles, which was infuriating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Experience LA traffic. But I mean, the cons of it though, and, and it's a pro of being in the office is I miss people, right? I yeah. miss I miss actually seeing somebody face to face and be able to talk to them because we have lost that in this mm-hmm. this um, kind of post pandemic or endemic world that we're moving into. Where I I mean I'm a strong advocate for always being on camera for meetings. So whenever I go into a meeting, ninety five percent of the time I've always got my camera on, and sometimes I'll be the only person with the camera on. Same. But I feel that if I'm interacting with you in a in a space that where we can see each other i want to be able to provide that to you because you get so much more from body language from yep. facial expressions from being able to actually see that other person and you build a stronger connection so that's something that i definitely miss um being at home is is having that in-person experience with somebody mm-hmm. and then of course the cons of going into an office would be the commute and all that stuff and sometimes getting derailed in the office so when i was in the la branch I'd be, I'd be focused and working and somebody would come up behind me, one of my recruiters, and I was like, hey, I have a question. You have five totally. minutes. I have time for you. My door's open. So I'd sit there and I'd chat with them. Okay, perfect. And they're gone. And okay, what was I doing again? Okay, mm-hmm. I, I got my phone ringing. Let me just, and you know, you get derailed. When I'm at home, I can be in focus mode. I can put my stuff on do not disturb and I can just go at mm-hmm. it and spend my hour doing what I need to do, right? Yeah. So long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> is I would love a hybrid if it was possible for me, right? We don't right. have a location here or anywhere even near this mm-hmm. city. It's not going to happen for me. But mm-hmm. if it was a perfect world, I would say hybrid. I would do maybe a three, two, three days at home, two days in the office. So yeah. this is right. Still be able to go in and actually connect with people, see folks, build those relationships, uh, you know, actually see those people and collaborate more effectively. And then the, the remaining days would be at home. So that way I can enjoy that work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sense of freedom and flexibility that comes with being able to just detach when I'm done for the day, right? Yeah. I also do do camera too. It's tough. Like I, I meet 
strangers. So I don't know if they're going to be open to it, but I always, always turn it on. Uh, And usually people have it on too. Thank you. Maybe more people will do it. Yeah. Um, So I I wanted to ask you, I keep forgetting to ask people this on these, but do you listen to any podcasts at all? Are you you a podcast person? Um, I know, especially with like the drive down and the drive up, maybe you dove into some, but are there any that come to mind that you would recommend folks check out, even if it's not career focused? Yeah, no, it's so funny to say that. So I had never been a podcast person. Really? I actually, I listen to, I do audiobooks because I love oh, cool. books. Um, because it's just, for me, it's like when I'm, when I'm doing chores or cleaning or like getting ready, it's like two birds, one stone for me. Cause I don't, mm. physically sitting with a book and reading, it's just not, I, I can't focus. Mm. But doing other things, I can listen and, and it's great. But no, I, I hadn't listened to any podcast except for, so there was one, that we just started listening to when we drove down to LA this past weekend called Sibling Rivalry. For anybody that watches RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, mm. probably heard of this, but two very well-known drag queens, um, Bob the Drag Queen and Monet Exchange, have been doing this podcast and they just talk mm. about things. But we ended up listening to a couple episodes and we were laughing hysterically um, at it. So that that is one. If you want if you want a good laugh and if you if you've watched RuPaul's Drag Race or even if you haven't and you and you want to you know hear. Mm-hmm. The, that goes on i highly recommend them because they're that's awesome really hilarious and then of course your podcast which i've just started uh, listening <laughs> well um so two the two podcasts i've been listening to <laughs> right on i appreciate that man well what what audiobooks do you would you recommend i guess like books in general but um any come come to mind that you've been you just finished or in the middle of yeah absolutely so i'm actually in the middle so james patterson i love james patterson books and yeah. I just recently found him. I would say it was last year. I listened to one of his and I got hooked. So I love political thrillers. So, uh, I mean, coming from DC. Yeah, I was going to say, it's (laughs) such a DC thing. So I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now. So um, I cannot remember the name of it to save my life. It was Old Place, Old Place. The the President's Daughter was one Mm. by... Patterson, that was very good. It was James Patterson and Bill Clinton wrote that one. And then also The First Lady was a good one. Hmm. And then another one that he wrote, this one was with this one was with Dolly Parton, was Run, Rose, Run, another hmm. one. And I'm in the process of listening to what's called The Red Book, which is another um, good one. And I, I try to vary out. Yeah, I try to vary my audiobook. So I'll listen to like some autobiographies. Um, so I mm-hmm. listen to the Viola Davis autobiography. Oh, which cool. I did the Michelle Obama uh, Becoming uh, last mm-hmm. year. It was a phenomenal audiobook to listen to. Yeah. And then I just vary stories. So I'll do like murder mysteries, you know, to mm-hmm. James Patterson kind of novels, which also kind of, you know, mysteries in their own right. And then just fun ones every now and again, just to switch it up and, and vary what I'm listening to. That's cool. Does, so does James Patterson like do these collaborations often? Surprisingly so, yeah. I had no Bill, Bill Clinton. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And like, obviously, uh, right to the source. Very cool. Yeah. I'll, have to ch- I'll check that out because uh, I've heard the same thing. My mom's pretty into James Patterson too. And so I see I see those books all over the, their house, you know, all the time. Listen to one of those. They're all, I mean, I recommend all of them. Right on. I will. I, I'm, I'm into, yeah, politics and then the murder side. I, I'm not usually into, but like I can get into like the politics history and uh, I don't know. The president's daughter sounds like a cool, cool thriller story. It's a good thriller. Well, thanks, man. I mean, this was it was great to hear about your experience, and I don't know. I feel like I know you so much more now. You yeah. know, great. 
know the you know the nine to five side <laughs> i know hey it was really great to catch up i hope things are awesome up there we, we miss you a ton good deal well thank you so much for having me on this was a lot of fun i i don't know why i was nervous it's just things ended up <laughs> we started right out of the gate yeah man it was my pleasure you were you're great have a good one okay randy tell someone to say hi i had a rudy bye bye Thanks for joining Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, cause it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I thank you for joining me. Work Stuff, a podcast. Professional stories casually told on Work Stuff.